I'm going to be in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that, are, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full confidence and courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that would be far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, 
engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is God's word for us today. Thank you very much for reading along with me. Well, it's so good to be here. I want to bring you greetings from Grace Community Church. I had some introductory remarks to say, but Matt took them all. Uh, That was a joke. Uh, Matt is way too kind. I've decided that I'd like to come back next week and preach, if that's the way you introduce people. Um, Five years ago, uh, Grace Community Church, or not five years ago, at the five-year mark of Grace Community Church, we were actually meeting in this room. And as I came in, uh, we were talking about things that have changed. Uh, Some things have changed. You have better lighting. You have central heat and air, although I'm not sure that the heat is working this morning because I am freezing, but I'm cold from about September to March, uh, so I'll be rubbing my hands a lot. Some things haven't changed. For instance, these little corner sunshine things up here on the stage, they've been there, I think, since this building was built, Uh, and I never have figured out what, is that some kind of symbol of something? I don't know, I don't know, but anyway, I look up and it reminds me of this, and it was such a joy to sing on the front row because I have a picture It's actually uh, in one of the publications that Grace has put out, a brochure that we put out, of my wife and I. We were on this side, though. Uh, This is Beth, by the way. You can wave at him. Uh, We were on this side, and we were singing right here in this room, somewhere around the five-year mark of Grace. So as we were singing this morning, that was just such a a sweet um, remembrance to me to think about um, what the Lord has done. Uh, I'm so excited about Trinity Church, always recommending people to come to this church. I love Matt McCullough. I don't have time to say as many good things about him as he said about me. But so ditto to Matt. Uh, very often in our, in our gatherings of pastors, uh, I just want to hear from the smart one in the group. And so I say, Matt, what do you think, buddy? And then he always throws out something that gets us all you know, Twitter-pated and ruffled, so it's always good. He's, he's the smart one among us, but uh, it's a joy to be here with you, and, and so excited to see you guys after five years still doing uh, what you're doing. Philippians 1 is about gospel partnership. Now, Matt has asked me to not only preach the Word, but to maybe bring some things to you to think about for the future of uh, Trinity Church, and uh, I have one overarching theme. I'm going to preach the word, but I have one overarching theme about what you should be thinking about for the future. And here it is. It's really simple, okay? And you need to write this down. Because if you go home and you don't get anything out of this about what your future should be, here it is. More of the same. That's it. More of the same. The gospel is here. Jesus is here. The Spirit is among you. You are preaching. You are growing. You are doing evangelism and outreach. You are building community. You are challenging one another. I know not because I'm with you, but because I'm with Matt. Because I do know some of you, and I'm with Matt. And just sitting in here this morning and hearing the word so strong and the singing so rooted in Christ and the gospel and doing the communion with you and hearing how this is introduced and watching you interact, and I'm like, more of the same. And that's really what Philippians is all about, Philippians 1. It's all about more of the same. In fact, he says a couple times, more and more. So this morning, I want to take just a few minutes to unpack the text, and then I want to close with just a few rapid-fire exhortations for you as you think about uh, your church life in the future. So 
um, a look at the text. There are many ways that we can conceive of the church. In fact, in the Bible, the church is seen, uh, is conceived of as what we call a fellowship. It's a beautiful, beautiful word. I've been meditating on 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful who called you into the fellowship of his son. And it literally means shared life. Shared life. So much so that I don't even like to call social gatherings with food involved at Grace Community Church fellowships. Because you can do that without sharing any life. But the church is called the fellowship. Which means the place that shares a life that is not ours. It's the life of Jesus and we share in it with one another. Which then makes us, what the communion was all about, makes us a part of each other in Christ. The church is conceived in the New Testament as a body that functions. If you've read 1 Corinthians, it's powerful and beautiful. It's a body that functions. So this morning, if we could just conceive of ourselves as a body and some of you are toes and eyes and ears and fingers and somebody's got a heartbeat here and there's some brain synapses and all that stuff going on. I better stop because you guys are medical people in Vanderbilt, so I'm done with that. But, um, but you can just feel it, you know, and we're going to function together. So the church is seen as a, the church is seen in the New Testament as a bride. And I love that picture as a, as a bride because collectively what it means, collectively <clears throat> it means that we have pure devotion to Christ. We're the bride of Christ that he washes and cleanses and is beautiful. It's in Ephesians, it's in Hosea, it's in Revelation. And then the church is seen as an army. And we don't like militaristic language, and I totally get that. However, if we understand our real enemy, we can reclaim this language of the army uh, doing battle against the devil, against evil, against darkness in this world. The church has the armor of God, Ephesians Chapter 6, so that we go out. So the church is conceived of in many ways. Here in Philippians 1 and the book of Philippians, the church is conceived of as a partner in the gospel. Verse 5, he says that very thing. He says, I'm thanking God for you, praying for you, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We're working together to advance the message of, of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. <clears throat> Verses 3 and 4, uh, this partnership is causing Paul to thank God, causing Paul to pray even more for them, causing Paul to have great joy. Don't you love when you're with your partners, your friends, your, you know, maybe it's a spouse or maybe it's a family member or maybe it's just somebody you've teamed up with and you're going it alone and then all of a sudden you see their face and you just light up with joy because you say, I'm no longer alone in this. I love, I love staff meeting at our church. I love it. I love to walk in and sit down and look around the table at men and women who are committed to the same cause I'm committed to and I just take joy in it. That's what Paul is saying here. And so right at the beginning, we have this central purpose and central message of the church where Paul says it is a gospel partnership. Would you give me just like five minutes to review the gospel with you? Just five minutes before we move on with this partnership stuff because it's a partnership of the gospel. When I think about the New Testament and how the gospel is presented to us, it seems to me that the gospel is presented as events like real history in time and place and then spiritual realities that flow out of those events, things that you and I benefit from because somebody came and actually did something on earth. And then it is a power, it is a power to alter our lives. So it's, it's events. 
when the Apostle Paul is talking about the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, here it is that Jesus died on the cross according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. Now that's those statements, that he died, was buried, and was raised. It's like a summary of an event that happened that started with the incarnation of Jesus, meaning he came and took on humanity and he lived a completely obedient and perfect life and he died a real death in history on a real day a date and a time in history and then three days later he rose from the dead was raised by the power of God and then literally in a resurrected body this is the craziest thing you can ever imagine but he literally in a resurrected body ascended into heaven we call it the right hand of the father where he presently is in his resurrected body interceding for you and me now, before you say, you know, wow, I'm forgiven, you can't even get there yet. You just got to say, wow, that happened. Like it's an event. Like a calendar day. These are events, Paul says, because without event, none of the realities are there. Just don't ever miss that. We say, ah, oh, I love the realities. I'm just not sure that it actually happened. No, it had to happen so that the realities could be Real. Okay, so it's an event, Paul said. Then it's realities. These events where Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead accomplished something, actually accomplished spiritual realities for us. This is grace, and we receive it by faith. It seems that uh, Jesus did three things that we couldn't do for ourselves. He lived a sinless life, so he was here. He died a substitutionary death in our place for our sin, and then he was raised for newness of life. So by faith in Christ, the spiritual realities that are ours because of what Jesus actually did in history are we are granted a righteousness. Nobody's ever going to pray to God until they're righteous. God doesn't listen to unrighteous people. But then when you think to yourself, oh, by grace, I actually have the righteousness of Jesus clothing me, wrapping me, so that when God is seeing me approaching him, he's seeing the righteousness of his son, the perfect obedience of his son. Jesus did this. And our sins are covered, the spiritual reality of no condemnation and no guilt. I love, just this morning again, loved hearing Matt just pronounce over us the great promise of God that in the cross of Jesus we are made clean. One of my favorite little phrases in the Bible is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when Paul lists this list of people who are not going to inherit the kingdom of God and they're just whacked, messed up, bad people. And then all of a sudden he says, and such you were, were, but you have been washed. And that's me. That's my testimony. It's yours. Such you were, but you've been washed. This is because Jesus took that penalty for, uh, of our sin on himself on the cross and dealt with it, actually, and then made new. We have been raised with Christ to be made alive unto God. Spiritual senses alive unto God. These are the spiritual realities that are ours in the gospel because Jesus did something in history. Then out of that, by faith, there are realities that become ours because of what Jesus did, and that is that we are 
forgiven of our sins, granted the righteousness of Jesus, and made alive unto God. And then the gospel is, in the New Testament, a life-altering power because Romans 6 says we're to walk in newness of life. Here in the text I just read, he says, it's a manner of life worthy of the gospel. There are implications that flow out of the gospel when God changes our hearts, forgives us of our sins, makes us spiritually alive people, alive unto him. Things happen. Things happen. Now, they may happen slowly. You may be discouraged because they're not happening fast enough for you. They happen differently, but they happen because the gospel is more than an event. It is a power that comes out of that event that changes our lives. This is the message of the gospel. And that brief overview of the gospel was for the purpose of letting us know that according to Philippians 1, the gospel is our central message. It is our central purpose. It is the purpose of our partnership. Our partnership is with the prophets and the apostles. Our partnership is with churches, each other. Our partnership is with Jesus himself, who said, go make disciples of all nations and preach this gospel everywhere. So Philippians 1, Paul sharing some personal thoughts and sharing his heart and his relationship with them is laying out for us three aspects of this gospel partnership. And I'm going to give them to you this morning uh, quickly and we'll look, look at the verses and then, as I said, wrap up with some exhortations. Three aspects of the gospel partnership that surface here. One is that you receive and continue in the gospel. Two is that you're a part of the advance of the gospel outside of yourself. And three, that you are living out the implications of the gospel among yourselves. Those are three aspects of the, the, uh, the gospel partnership that Paul lays out here. All right, the first one, continuance in the gospel. Starting in verse 6, Paul said, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He's talking here about the reception of the gospel message by faith, saying, This I believe, and then growth in that gospel. God is the one who started that work in you, and God is the one who will complete that work in you. This is the promise of grace. But what, one of the ways I like to say it is, is what God is doing, we should be pursuing. What God is doing, we should be pursuing. So, as God, by His power and by His grace, is working in your life to continue, keep you continuing in the gospel, then you are transformed and changed and motivated to start pursuing what God is doing. We could never say, you save yourself. We could never say, you keep yourself in the grace of God, or you make yourself grow spiritually. We could never say that. It's all of God. But what God is doing is what you and I should be pursuing so he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of christ jesus so then we should be as paul said later in chapter three pressing on to lay hold of that for which we were laid hold of by christ god's doing it we should be pursuing it god started the good work in these people Known as the Philippian church. I don't know if you know much about this church. I love it. I love it. It's, if you look at Acts chapter 16 sometime, you'll, you'll get it. But it's, it's made up of some really interesting people right at the beginning. All right, number one, you've got this lady named Lydia. And she's a businesswoman. And she's a God-fearer. 
and she happens to meet Paul, and she's converted to Christ. Second person that becomes a part of this Philippian group of Christians is a demon-possessed slave girl. Really. We don't have any of those, I don't think, at Grace. Last I checked, I don't know. Three-year-old class? No, I'm teasing. That's a joke. But that's what happened. Demon-possessed slave girl running around uh, telling people's future. Her owners were making money off of her. And she chased Paul around and constant making noise. Prophet of God, man of God, apostle of God. And so much so that Paul got so tired of hearing, he had to turn around and rebuke her and cast out the demon so she would simply be quiet and he could carry on his business. And he does that, and guess what? She becomes part of the church. Third person mentioned as a part of this church is a jailer. Paul did that. Everybody got upset because now he's he's hurting the economy. They're making money off this slave girl telling people's future. And he cuts into the economy. They throw him in jail. I don't know if you know the story. I'll make it quick. But uh, they're in jail, and they're singing and all this, and an earthquake comes, and their shackles are let loose, and the jailer wakes up and thinks, oh, no, Paul and his companions have been set free. And he says, and back then, you know, they were going to, if the, if the jailer let the people escape, the jailer got, got, he got taken care of. And so he's like, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to kill myself. And Paul says, don't do that. We're still here. We didn't go anywhere. And he goes, oh, my goodness. He repents and believes and becomes a part of the church. Now, I don't know what kind. I, I do know what kind because I was there. There wasn't any people like that when you planted Trinity Church. But this is what's happening here. And so Paul says, he who started the good work with these three people, is going to continue the work until the day of Christ Jesus. God will complete the work, meaning he will continue the work until he returns again. This is grace. So what does faith look like? Faith looks like receiving this gospel of grace and growing in this grace, as verses 9 through 11 say, more and more. It's a huge and beautiful phrase. More and more. It's a key phrase. You've received this gospel. Now grow in this gospel so that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so you'll know what's worthy of loving and you'll know how to love it worthily that's gospel growth that's change that jesus brings to our lives so that okay so that our our love will abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment so you'll know what's worthy of setting your affection on And you'll know how to love it worthily. This is what God does in our lives in spiritual growth. That we may approve what is excellent. So the excellence is the kingdom of God. So you'll go after the kingdom of God. So you'll live in purity. You'll be singly devoted to Jesus Christ. That you have the fruit and the evidence of righteousness, which is obedience. This is what God is doing. This is what you should be pursuing. It's what we each should be pursuing. So at, at Trinity, in the years to come, you're going to have many, many opportunities and many, many temptations that, are, that you're going to be called to, uh, to forget that it's really all about the gospel and it's all about gospel growth. It's all about grace by faith. You, you know, there's going to be a day at this congregation when, that, when that's tested and something's going to happen and it's going to happen in your life and, and that's going to be a great temptation for you to forget that at the core of everything is the good news of Jesus Christ and God is working it in your life and he's going to continue it into the day of Christ Jesus and that should be your ultimate pursuit. In other words, distraction is going to come along. And Paul's saying, no, a good gospel partnership is what God is doing, you should be pursuing. Keep going. Another part of it is the advance of the gospel. Verses 12 through 26 is where we get this. The Philippian church 
was started because Paul was actually advancing the message of the gospel into new territory, into Gentile territory. And so Paul's talking about his circumstances. He, circumstances. he got thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. But look what he says, starting in verse 12. He says, look, it's okay that I was thrown in prison because my circumstances have actually turned out to serve for the advance of the gospel. The, even the guards are hearing about Jesus. So I'm happy. And he's saying that those who are trying to preach the gospel to spite him, to pull away from his following, he says, let them do so. I don't care what their motive is. I just want to make sure the name of Jesus is getting out there. And he's saying, he goes on to say, uh, starting in about verse 19, he says, look, I'm so tired. I'm so worn out. My body has been beaten so many times. I've traveled around without shoes so often. I've been so hungry. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to die. But if I have to stay here a little bit longer to keep preaching the gospel and to help you grow in your faith, okay. Okay. I I guess that's okay if I have to live any longer. This guy's total obsession is the gospel. More gospel advance means this. Verses 20 and 26, it means more glory to Christ. I love the way he says it in 2 Corinthians. As grace extends to more and more people, thanksgiving increases to the glory of God. Now, we have a children's pastor at Grace, and, and he, he like, like one time he got up to preach, and he d- didn't shift out of children's mode, and he started doing hand motions. And he had the whole church doing hand motions, and I'm just rolling my eyes going, dude, what are you doing? Well, I've got hand motions. As grace extends to more and more people, thanksgiving increases to the glory of God. This is the obsession of Paul, the advance of the gospel, because, because not to prove his point, not to give himself some sort of personal success, but for the glory of Christ. That's part of the partnership. It's growing, in, it's receiving and growing the gospel, and then it is advancing the gospel. You know, at Trinity Church in the years to come, you're going to have many, many, many temptations to stay put, to turn inward, and to forget that the real calling is the advance of the gospel. Grace extending to more and more, that thanksgiving might increase to the glory of God. That's 2 Corinthians 4. Third part of this of this uh, partnership is that we live out the implications of the gospel. The implications of the gospel lived out individually and corporately. In verse 27, Paul starts, starts it this way, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So he does not mean make yourself worthy of the gospel of Christ. You, you cannot be worthy, you cannot make yourself worthy a worthy recipient of the good news, of the, of the great realities that are accomplished in the events of Jesus' death and resurrection. You just can't do it. You, you will never be worthy to be forgiven. You will never, never be worthy of wearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You will never be worthy of being made new. It's not what he's saying. He's saying live individually, live corporately in a way that worthily can be associated with grace, with God initiating 
in your life and calling you and awakening you to faith and making you a new creature in Christ. Live a life worthy of the gospel. Like Jesus saying, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. This is a life worthy of the gospel. It says that all I have is from is from God in Christ. He has saved me from my sins. He has claimed me for his own. He's made me a new person. And so I can deny anything. I can lay aside anything because it's simply not worth hanging on to in order to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians, he puts it this way. Put off some things, put on some things. This is a life worthy of the gospel. The whole book of Philippians is about this. He says in verse 27 that this this corporate life, living out the implications that is worthy of the gospel, is one spirit, one mind, uh, standing side by side, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He goes on to say in verse 28 and 30, this life worthy of the gospel is expect some opposition. Expect some opposition, but don't be undone by it. Now may I just be a little personal with you, okay? Expect some opposition. I've spent my whole life avoiding opposition. And you have too. We spend our whole lives avoiding opposition. We should not think that we can follow Jesus and be a community that represents Jesus and never be opposed. Opposition is not a sign that we simply did not become more relevant or speak more winsomely. There will be a time in every Christian's life, in every congregation's life, where faithfulness to Jesus means opposition. And Paul said, expect it, but don't be undone by it. So at Trinity in the years to come, you're going to be tempted to lose your edge, the edge of your lifestyle. The, the edge of your corporate lifestyle. You're going to be tempted to forget that holiness is still relevant and that we're to pursue purity in all things, in doctrine, in lifestyle, behavioral choices, in love. This is still the calling. So there's Philippians 1 in a big flyby at Grace. They're preaching from it this morning, and I'll continue on next week from this passage. We're taking three weeks, but there it is in a flyby. Now I just want to do what Matt asked me to do and, and just bring quickly to you some some encouragements to pursue over the next five and may I say 50 years may I encourage you to have a 50-year vision in other words what you do right now some of you are still going to be alive in 50 years I'm not going to be but some of you are going to still be alive in 50 years because you're you're relatively young so may I encourage you to think about the next 50 years at Trinity Church Because the things you do now, the decisions you make, the culture you set and shape, the trajectory of this congregation that you decide now can can last for another 50 years. And in fact, if you look around, I'm seeing these precious little ones who are perfect this morning. You guys got plenty of stuff to draw with and hopefully some good candy and all that good stuff and you're ready to go. Look at them now because guess what? In 50 years, they will be your pastors, your elders your mentors of this congregation, hopefully. So what would I say? I'd say, what God is doing, you should be pursuing. And I'd say, more of the same. More gospel and more gospel growth. That's the first one. 
You got started by grace through faith. God did it. I know Matt. Some others founded this church. Drew. Who was a part of the team? Dave, Bill. They're all of you all. I, I know that you, you guys did that. But let's, the people say, Scott, was, you know, Scott started grace 23 years ago. God, God did this. God started it. Um, you know, none of us really makes a lot of decisions if you stop and think about it. We, none of us decides where we're born. We're not decide what we're born with in terms of capacities. We don't decide when we're going to hear the gospel. There wasn't one person in this room who's a Christian who said, okay, I got it. You know, it's time. Today I need to go out and get somebody to tell me the gospel. It just doesn't happen that way. God starts this. It's all about grace. Remember that. It's by grace. It's through faith. It's the gospel from the first day. Remember how you got here. It's the gospel until now. Stay there. Never leave the gospel. Never move from the gospel. Always move on in the gospel. Always move on with the gospel. Never move on away from the gospel. Verse 9, let it be more and more. You say, why are you stating the obvious? I'm stating the obvious because it is so easy for churches to get off message and to lose the obvious. It is so easy for people to do that, for the church to become something other than about the gospel. Let me just put you to a test this morning, okay? I want to ask you a question. I want you to answer this question. When you think of other churches, what comes to your mind? Now, be honest. Don't give me the answer you think I'm looking for. Oh, it's about the gospel. Gospel, that's what comes to mind. No. Be honest. When you think of other churches, what comes to your mind? I know what comes to your mind because it's the same thing that comes to my mind. What size is that congregation? What kind of music does that congregation have? What's their style? What's the demographic? Are they young? Are they old? Are they spread out? Where do they meet? Okay. That means that we've gotten off message. If that's what comes to our mind about churches, we've gotten off message. Here's another question, more important than the first one. When people think of Trinity Church, what do you want them to think? What do you want them to think? Do you want them to think anything about you and about your church? Or do you want them to think, I think that's a place I can hear some good news. I think that's a place where people have got some good news for me. It's so simple, isn't it? But we lose the obvious. And I promise you, if if we all are honest in those moments, we're not thinking about other churches that's a place I'll get good news. Have we, got, have we lost the message? Or have we gotten off message? We want the message to be gospel, grace, faith in Jesus. You know, it's political season again. Not going to go there this morning, but it's political season again. And every time it's political season, you hear the same thing. Stay on message. Stay on message. Stay on message. We're watching candidates just fade away into oblivion because they've lost their message. We, of all people, have to stay on message. This will be a major issue for you in the generations to come. It will be a major issue for Trinity Church in the generations to come. Will you stay on message? You know, let's be honest about this, okay? All you have is a message. That's all you have. Think about it. You don't produce a product. You don't even render a service, ultimately. 
All you have is a message. Right? So if, you, if we lose the message of Jesus Christ on the cross, buried and raised on the third day according to the Scripture, then we have lost the very reason for being here. Because all we have as a church is a message. So there's my exhortation to you. More of the same. What God's doing, you should be pursuing. Another one would be pursue the implications of the gospel individually and corporately. Verse 27, there's a manner of life that's worthy of the gospel. There is a way of living that is worthy of the gospel. And it's for you individually. And it's for you as a congregation. And if you do that, this will keep you acting like a Christian and it'll keep you acting like a church. So if you, if you stay on message, you see, if you keep the gospel, you'll, you'll, you'll keep the message clear. And if you live out the implications of the gospel, you'll continue to act like what you are, which is a church. So you have to guard your life. You have to guard your church. You have to learn how to say no to some things, learn how to say yes to some things, so that you'll actually do and not do the things that God has called you to do and stay away from the things that God's called you not to do. And in the decades to come, Trinity Church is going to face hundreds of opportunities to do hundreds of things. And you have to ask the question constantly, is this a real implication of the gospel? You have to stay on track. You have to live like what you are. You are a church. I'm probably preaching something that will become important to you in 10 years. You are not a YMCA. You are not a concert venue. You are not a coffee shop. You are not a political action committee. There may be elements to every one of those things that somehow affect the way you do church life, but none of that is your task. The implication of the gospel is that you live a life that worthily represents what God has done in Jesus on the cross and in Jesus in the resurrection. Now, I wish I had another hour to do Q&A. I can tell Matt's head is just like, okay, give me some real examples. And I, wish I, had, I wish I had an hour to do that, but I don't. So I'm just going to throw it out there and let you talk about it over lunch. I think the final thing I would say, more the same, what God is doing you should be pursuing is pursue gospel advance. This was Paul's concern in his own circumstances. I'm telling you, if I'm thrown in jail, if I'm thrown in jail as a preacher, I'm going to be saying, you, all you're going to hear out of my mouth, you know, I'm preaching long, I don't know, it's, you know, I'm not saying it's going to happen, I'm not a doomsday guy, but let's just, for the sake of what I'm talking about here, I'm preaching long, and they, they bust in, and they say, you're preaching the truth of Jesus Christ, I'm going to throw you in jail, boom, they throw me in jail, all I'm saying is, First Amendment, that's all I'm saying, First Amendment, where's my lawyer? They throw Paul in jail, he goes, where are the guards? Come here, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, according to the scripture and was buried, and on the third day was raised, according to the Scripture. It's all about the advance of the gospel. And if you do this, then this will keep you from becoming ingrown. Ingrownness is the natural 
trajectory of every organization is to stop being for others and to start being for ourselves. And we fight this constantly at Grace Community Church, constantly. Now, again, I may be preaching something that you'll find application for in 10 years, but I'm telling you, when, when all of a sudden, you know, you got to look around and actually buy a place to, to meet because they're going to kick you out. I don't know if they're going to kick you out of here or not. You guys might be here until the return of Christ, who knows. But I know that, that that didn't happen for us. And, you know, 12 years bouncing around all over Nashville. And we finally get some property. We have to purchase it. We weren't we're happy for it, but it was a big challenge, and we did. And then all of a sudden, we have a hundred other issues that we have to give our attention to that cause us to start looking in here. And you know what? I wouldn't trade it because I think God led us to do what we did. And he will probably someday, maybe, lead you to do that very thing. Don't fight it. If he leads you to do it, go with it. Just make sure that as you turn in here to deal with your stuff, like buildings and budgets and trash cans and safety and all that business, you're doing it for the ultimate purpose of pushing the gospel back out. Just keep asking that question. How do we advance the gospel? Stay outward focused. Okay, so gospel partnership. Beyond message. Beyond task. Be outward. And be unified in doing it. Father, I pray that something this morning will land well for this precious congregation. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the grace that is in Christ Jesus that has begun the good work in this congregation known as Trinity Church. What you are doing, I pray this congregation will be pursuing. May I also, Father, ask that for Grace Community Church and for the other gospel-believing congregations of this city. May we move from being one of the most outwardly religious cities in America to being a city where there is genuine revival and renewal in the good news of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Now, bless this congregation with these things. Amen. Amen.